0: wonderful day, and I've already enjoyed being with you this evening. I'd like you to take the Word of God and open it with me, if you will, to the book of Nehemiah once again. And then we'll look also at one passage as well in the book of Jeremiah. Nehemiah, towards the end of the historical books, and then the book of Jeremiah as well. We've had a very good day. I've received such a welcome from everyone here. And then You've got such a friendly local school here as well. Points Past Primary School is a blessing. Jeremiah chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 6 and read to verse 12. Jeremiah chapter 3, sorry, Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada, the son of Pasea, and Meshulam, the son of Bethlehem. They laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite and Jadon the Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, unto the throne of the governor on this side the river. Next unto them repaired Uziel the son of Harheah of the goldsmiths, Next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. And they fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. And next unto them repaired Jediah, the son of Heramoth, Heramath, even over against his house, And next unto him repaired Hatish the son of Hashabniah. Malchijah the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath-Moab, repaired the other piece and the tower of the furnaces. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the ruler of the half-part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. Now if you'll turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 6 and we'll begin reading at verse 12. Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah had predicted that this would happen, that the city would be destroyed, the people would not be living in their homes again. And he gives a reason why. In Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 12 Says, And their houses shall be turned unto others, with their fields and wives together, for I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness, and from the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace peace when there is no peace were they ashamed when they had committed abomination nay they were not at all ashamed neither could they blush not therefore they shall fall among them that fall at the time that i visit them saith uh, visit them they shall be cast down saith the lord thus saith the lord stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Well, Brother Wilfie, thank you for your testimony. And uh, I think it's so so amazing to hear people's testimonies. Today at dinner, Brother David shared his testimony of him and his wife, with us as well, and uh, how she was saved four years before he was, but uh, it reminded me a little bit of a a couple in our church back in Peterborough, where the husband was saved uh, at the Edinburgh Royal Tattoo from a scripture reader sharing the gospel with them there, but then his wife wasn't saved for 30 years after that, and uh, she's the sweetest lady in our church, and I can't imagine uh, the testimony that they give, how she, she, they say she was so cruel to her husband. She used to hide his Bible from him. And, uh, and and whenever when she was just so against it. But then finally, after 30 years, he got a bit discouraged, and he stopped going to church himself. But then he didn't know that she had been working at a care home where preachers were coming in and sharing the gospel, and she would wheel the people in. And, and she'd hear the gospel as well. And then he was going to... Uh, ride his bicycle one day on a Sunday and he saw some some ladies walking in to a church in the middle of a rural area and he thought, I should be going into the church. But he was in his bicycle clothes. He said, he watched all the people walking. He said, I won't go in unless somebody invites me. About that time, the two ladies walked around the corner and said, well, don't just stand there, come on in. And and so he went in and he went back home and said to his wife, I'm going back to church. And he got the shock of his life when she said, I'm going to come into church with you. And she got saved after 30 years. And you know, she said something to me, she said, I've never regretted getting saved. I just wish I'd done it earlier. But you know, I've never met anybody who said they regretted trusting Christ as their Savior. But I met many people who said, I wish I did that sooner. And if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ, I pray that you don't waste any time at all. You might say, Well, that's that's not for me. That's old. That's the Bible is so old. But the Bible tells us. Here, that there's an important lesson that we can learn from the old gate. This old gate had been destroyed. It had, it had, been, uh, it had been in ruins. Uh, and some people say, well, the Bible is, Christianity is in ruins. Christianity is old. We've gotten past all that. We're in a post-Christian era. Some people say the Bible is so old, it no longer applies to us. It's sad that uh, my wife was the first Christian in, in her family. She'll share her testimony on Friday night, but we would take uh, her. Her sister would allow us to take their children to to church and to Sunday school sometimes, and to summer camp. And some of them had uh, had gotten older and and had you know we, we weren't in the area, so we couldn't couldn't uh, do that as consistently as we would have loved to. When we when we did live in Corby, Natalie's hometown, we had a Friday night kids club, and they would come and we had about. 30 kids in the living room. Just, uh, it was it an was amazing time. We wish we could have carried on with that. But as they got a little bit older, the only one who was still interested was the youngest of the four children. And I remember she was jumping on the trampoline asking me questions about Abraham, and I was telling her the story of Abraham. She just was, wow! And every time I told her something, she'd get so excited. She'd, she'd jump as high as she could on the trampoline because she said, I'm just so excited, I have to go. And she'd run to the other side of the trampoline, and she'd scream and say, I'm just so excited to know about all these things from the Bible. But then she was told, a little, about a year later she was told, okay, you're a little bit older now, you can stop believing in all that. The Bible's too old. And that's so many people, that's what they think. The Bible is too old. You don't have to believe it anymore. But the Bible is just as relevant and true today as it ever has been. Christ Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The truth found in Scripture is for all people. It's for all time. Good is still good. Evil is still evil. God is still God. But the scariest thing about this argument against the authority of of Scripture is that there are many people who say they want to follow Jesus, but they also say that much of the Bible is not for, is not, does not apply because of how old it is. And uh, of course they say, you can trust this part of the Bible, but not that part of the Bible. And liberalism creeps in, doesn't it? They're looking for something new. Liberalism has come into so many places. I, I remember asking a pastor in London once. He was telling us, when he was a, a young boy, 40, about 40% of people in England attended Sunday school is what he said. But he said, now we're about three generations removed from Christianity here in England. He said, now in most places, about 4% of people go to church anywhere. And in some counties it's up to, to 10%, but uh, most places it's 4%. And he said it happened so quickly. And I remember asking him, well, why do you think that is? And he said, well, the The uh, preachers here in England would go to liberal seminaries in Germany and other places and they would come back preaching this way. The book of Genesis didn't really happen. The book of Revelation's not really going to happen. The miracles didn't really happen. And the soldiers coming back from World War I and World War II said, even the preachers don't believe this stuff anymore and they just stopped bringing their families to church. And it happened just like that. Think about the book of... Joshua, all the victories as they entered the land. And then you just get to chapter 2 of the book of Judges. And it said, there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. And that happened in England just as quickly as it did there in the book of Judges. And it could happen here. I read an article today. I I don't know what the percentage in Northern Ireland would be of of people moving away from the old paths. Um, But I, I read an article today. It said, uh, written, written about a year ago, it didn't give numbers exactly, but it said uh, only 40% of the people who call themselves Roman Catholic actually go to church, and about 40% of the people who call themselves Protestant actually go to, to church. I don't, I don't know what that means as far as how many people would, uh, would go regularly, but the title of the article is, The Walls Are Crumbling. That's what the title of the article was. The walls are crumbling. And you know, the, the walls are crumbling. And what is, what's the answer? How do we get back to those old paths? How do we get back to the scripture which we can build a foundation, our foundation upon? That's something reliable. The shifting sands of, of this world. The shifting sands of time. People try to build their lives on the, on the shifting sand. But what we need is something reliable. Solid. What we need is something reliable. What we need is something old, the rock of our salvation. And so the people of Nehemiah's day rebuilt the old gate and the wall uh, between the old gate and the valley gate. And do you see that? Do you see the old gate there on the left hand side? And do you see the valley gate down at the bottom? This is the longest section of the wall that's described here around the city of Jerusalem. And there's a lot that we can get out from these, these verses here tonight. But, you know, the, one of the main things that we learn here in this, in this trip around the, the walls of ancient Jerusalem, uh, one of the things that we learn here is about this gate that was really, it's called the turning, the gate of the corner. It turns a corner there. And it was the oldest gate in Jerusalem. This is so, but you know, Jerusalem is mentioned 800 times in Scripture and it really it makes us think about God's presence. And, and we're talking about how there's a way to God. And there's, there's lessons we can learn here. But the old gate is where the, old, the elders would sit at the gate. That's, this is the gate where the, some, some people uh, call it the gate of the old. And so we just call it the old gate. But it was the gate of the old. The elders would sit there and they would give counsel to people. We read about... Uh, we read about, for example, in the, in the book of Joshua, how when somebody would come to a city of refuge, they would speak to the elders at the gate. And we think about also, in the book of Ruth, how they came to the elders who were sitting at the gate, and they would give advice, they would give judgment. And so the, the, the gate of, this is the gate that represents the older teaching the younger. And it's so important that we not neglect the, the Bible just because it's old. There was, remember the king who went with the council of the, the, his friends, the younger, instead of the council of the older advisors? So many people, they, they rejected. But the Bible teaches us a very important principle of passing it on. That pastor in London who told me that England had been three generations removed from the gospel, he also told me. What, the, what he thought the answer would be. Do you want me to show you what, what he thought the answer would be? Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 78. Thinking about the older teaching the younger. Psalm 78. We're going to see here an opening of the ears and an opening of the mouth. And then we'll see an opening of the heart. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, "...showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Do you remember what that gentleman said? We're three generations removed from the gospel. What does it say right here? If we just open our mouths and and we open our ears, we learn about these things for ourselves and then we pass it on to others. He says we will not hide them from our children, showing the generation to come. And he says that the generation to come that in verse five, that they might make them known to their children. And then in verse six, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. It's an open secret, very simple. But it would cover three generations, wouldn't it? It could begin again. Things that have been lost can be regained here as we open our mouths. We not hide them. Don't, don't, as I said yesterday, don't be a dead-end Christian. Don't hide these things. It's, it's almost stealing. We think about those, those, those lepers who found the feast and they said, we do not well. Uh, he, they, they, they realized that they were, they were hold, not, by not giving the good news, they were holding some, something back. They were hiding something they shouldn't be hiding. And we think about making it known. The children who should arise, we can declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God. I remember when I first moved to England, watching riots breaking out, the, the very month that we arrived, riots were breaking out in London, and I didn't really know what was going on. I just, uh, people would call and say, are you okay? We're we seeing on the news in America, there's all these riots in London and, and looting and all that. Yeah, we're fine, we're, we're not anywhere near London, but, uh, but uh, I watched a, a, a reporter speaking to a politician, and she said, well, why is this happening? What's going on? And she said, this generation just doesn't have any hope. She was talking about, I think, the economy and all of this, but, uh, and jobs, but it really made me think, they don't have hope. What is their hope? But the Bible says they can set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. So just teaching these things, I said yesterday, I'm so thankful for my father teaching me the gospel, but he took seriously Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teach these things diligently. Well, it says first, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and thou shalt teach these things diligently unto thy children. When thou risest up, when thou layest down, when thou walkest by the way... And uh, because my dad never heard of growing up, by the way, he led my mother to the Lord, and she had never heard it growing up either. My my dad grew up in the Netherlands. My mother grew up in Nigeria, in West Africa, in an Episcopalian home. But then she moved to America when she was 17, and my father led her to the Lord as a ministry of uh, the youth group. And she said, I always knew it was something like that, but nobody ever explained it to me before. And she trusted Christ very, very quickly. But uh, both of them, they, they, they taught these things diligently. Every morning when I'd wake up, they'd be, they'd be preparing for the day. My dad would be eating his oatmeal, reading his Bible, trying to think of something to share with us. We'd have a 45-minute drive to school, uh, the Christian school where he taught. And uh, he'd talk to us the whole way about things in the Bible, it says, when thou risest up. It says, when thou liest down. He would tell us stories about three bears, Teddy, Freddy, and Reddy, and Rocky Raccoon, but then he'd always tell us something from the Bible. He'd pray with us. It says, when thou risest up, when thou liest and when thou walkest by the way. My dad always dreamed of living in mountains growing up in, in the Netherlands, so we lived in the Smoky Mountains growing up, and we'd walk to the waterfalls, and he'd have the New Testament in his back pocket, And he'd open it in the New Testament and the Psalms. He'd read us a scripture when we'd sit on the rock next to the waterfall. So he took it seriously. He just did what he he was meant to do and praised the Lord for the investment he made. It says that they might set their hope in God. Is that a guarantee? No. But that's that's the only way it's going to happen. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse... um, uh, is it Proverbs twenty two verse? Um, uh, I should know this. Verse six: Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm thankful for that. Now I know that that's a proverb, but it's not a promise. Some people some people view it as a promise. You know, I, I did everything I could, but then they didn't go in the way that they should go. But uh, uh, but it's a problem. It's a general principle. If you train up a child in the way they should go, that it's a general principle that when they are old, he will not depart from it. And so we can, we can look at that and we can say, let's do our very best. Let's repair the old gate. Let's teach what we know and carry it on to others. And so that's the first lesson that we see from the old gate. The Bible tells us back in Nehemiah, that there were people doing this work with their children. Look at the very last verse that we read in Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Helohesh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. You know, everyone had a part in this work. Everyone had a part. And, and some of the people that were doing this here, it says in verse number 10, And next unto them repaired Jedeah, the son of Haram, Haramath, even over against his house. They needed to repair the walls because it wasn't just good for the nation. It was good for their home. It was good for their house to have a, a security. And, you know, we need to rebuild the spiritual walls. It's not only good for the nation. It's protection for our own family members, our own homes. And this was, by the way, this phrase against his house is found five times throughout this third chapter of Nehemiah. And so people were building along their homes, but other people, they built along their own home, and then they went to the other side of the wall and helped other people with their section of the wall. For example, you see in uh, verse 4 of Nehemiah 3, you see Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, but you also see him over in verse 30 as well. So he finished his section, and then he went over to the other side and helped somebody else with their section as well. May the Lord help us to be faithful in our own homes. May the Lord help us to be faithful with parents who don't teach their children. And may the Lord help us to have a ministry as a church all working together to see a generation coming to know Christ as their Savior. We also see, though, in uh, chapter 6 of Um, Nehemiah that Meshulam the son of Barakai, he was so hard working that um, he he was helping others but his own daughter married Tobiah's son one of the bad guys chapter 6 verse verse 18 so I'm sure that he was heartbroken about that Uh, Meshulam but uh, we can do we can do our best, can't we? He was helping, he was working. But the most but but the most important work is for our own homes and for our own children. I'm sure we every Christian parent's most important prayer request is for their children to be with them forever in heaven. It wasn't just uh, uh, it was everybody getting involved as well. It wasn't just the professionals. You might say well. Well, that's, uh, that, that's the preacher's job. But you see here in this passage, um, in verse 8, you have goldsmiths getting involved. You've got a, uh, Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. You've got uh, rulers getting their hands dirty. Uh, two different rulers in this passage. In verse number um, 9 and in verse number uh, 12, you have two different rulers of, of half the city. They were getting involved and helping in the work. So everybody needs to get involved. As a church, we see that when we all do our part, we can can have a community that everyone can look up to. When we have baby dedications uh, in our church in in Peterborough, we give a challenge to the mother and a challenge to the father, and we give a challenge to their relatives. We also give a challenge to the entire church and say, all of you are examples for this child as they grow up. May they see good examples of Christians uh, all throughout their their life and through their childhood. So praise God for the old gate. We're the the older, we're teaching the younger. Another thing that we see in the old gate, it not only symbolizes the old ways of the faith that God has already revealed, uh, but in order to come to Christ, we have to come through the sheep gate, we have to learn how to witness, but then we need to get uh, grounded in the scriptures as soon as we can. Grounded in the old paths. People want something new. They say we will not walk therein. But the the, the thinking about the um, the old gate. We we think about the number of people building this wall. All these people working together, and yet they they all together knew that this this is so important to have the old path, the old gate rebuilt. The other reality. Of the old gate speaks to us, though, about old and new. It speaks about change, changes that come through life. Did you know what the old gate, where the old gate is? It's not there anymore. Uh, but it's where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is in Jerusalem today. It's the closest place to where, uh, the closest gate, there's that and there's the Gordon's tomb not far from there but it's really the closest gate to where Jesus died. And we think about when we come to Christ, we become a new creature. The only way to become a new creature is the old way. You can't do it in some new way. You can't change yourself in some new way. The only way to become new is that old story of Christ on the cross. That's the only way. When a man comes to or when, when anyone comes to Christ as sinners in, the need, for, in, in the, for the need of mercy and the need for salvation, Christ will forgive us. He will make us new. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The, the closest gate today to the old gate, uh, the, where the old gate is, they built a wall that goes off to the, to the left. And, and that's where there's a, there's a gate there. It's called the new gate. And so the old gate's now the new gate. But really, the only way to truly become new is the old way of the cross. <clears throat> Think about uh, a, a butterfly. You don't just uh, strap wings onto a caterpillar. No, that caterpillar gets into uh, a cocoon. And our friend uh, Jason, he's a pastor in our area. He collects butterflies, and, and uh, he came and preached at our church recently about uh, the metamorphosis of the soul. And he brought his butterfly collection, and he brought some living butterflies for the kids to release after the service. You know. But he told us that when the, butterf- when the caterpillar gets into that, that uh, cocoon, it turns into just a soup of chemicals, and then it's made into an entirely different creature. And then out it comes, a whole, totally different creature. God doesn't just change the old worm of what we were, He makes us totally new creatures. You know, if you have a car and you put a new engine in it, and then you, that you, you have some mechanic put a new engine into your vehicle, and then you, you bring it home and it still has problems, you, probably, you might think, well, did they just clean up the old engine or did they put a new engine in it? And so many people, they think that's what becoming a Christian is like, just cleaning up the old engine, but no, he gives us a whole, totally new heart when we come to Christ as our Savior. Think about the uh, when, we, when we come to the Lord Jesus, the Bible says he will make all things new. There's that great exchange. Let's say that this hand represents you and this represents your sin. God loves you, but he hates your sin because it separates you from God. There has to be that great exchange. Your sin was placed on the Christ. He died for you. He, he was buried. He rose again the third day, defeating death and hell and the grave. So how do you get rid of your sin? Jesus paid for it. You can't just say, well, I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll, I'll try my best to fix up myself. No, you have, to, you have to say, I believe that Jesus did that for me. Come to him, and then he will make you a new creature. And the sin is no longer in the way. And you can have a relationship with Him. And you can be with Him forever and ever in heaven. The Bible teaches us that there is not uh, any external efforts that we can make to make us a new creature. Some people, they, they, they think that if they just fix themselves, if they just do good works, if they just join a church, if, if they can uh, do things on the outside. Billy Sunday used to say, it, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you an automobile. Now there has to be a change on the inside. We're going to talk in, uh, on Wednesday night about the fountain gate. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well about this fountain shall be in you, a well of life springing up into everlasting life. It's not trickle down. It's not trickle down through politics. Real change cannot come from the outside. I read a book about the time of Mitt Romney in America running for president. And uh, the, everybody in, the, in America was, uh, all, so many churches were getting involved. And just say, if we could just get the right person elected. But I read this book called Blinded by Might. And it was written by an assistant pastor of a man named Jerry Falwell. And he was looking back at the time that they had spent. And he had said that there was this huge coalition of churches. And they called it the Moral Majority or the religious right, and they got so many churches to donate money, and so many churches to sign pledges that they were going to change. They they had a big list of the 20 things that were going to change in America in the next 20 years. And now the 20 years had come and gone, and all 20 things on the list were all worse than they had been before. And the, the point of the book was, if we had only spent the last 20 years preaching the gospel, spending all as much money as we did on the gospel, then we really could have changed America, but from the inside out and not from the outside. Not trickling down, but springing up into everlasting life. Don't just try to change yourself. The Bible tells us that when you come to Christ, there's something old that you can build your life upon. He can make you new, but not in some new way. He makes you new in that old way, which we're about to sing about, the old Rugged cross. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for that old rugged cross where Jesus died right there near the old gate. And Father, we pray we would not discard it in this modern day. Help us to teach it as diligently as we ever did. Help us to get back to repairing the old gate. In Jesus' name we pray.